0: Welcome to Creatives Grab Coffee, hosted by Kirill Lazaroff and Dario Nuri. CGC is a show where we invite business professionals to discuss industry topics and share experiences. Today we welcome our guest Ryan Bergman. Ryan runs Immediate Group, a production company for the digital age, working with agencies, brands, and people to develop ideas and concepts that maximize viewer engagement. In addition to their commercial work, they have a mandate to support and collaborate with charities and nonprofit organizations whenever possible. We hope you enjoy our discussion. So let us start.
1: Did you get scared when they, they announced the new uh, modified uh, stage two?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I wasn't going to restaurants inside. I don't go to the gym. I wasn't bummed, like from that sense, like being not able to do that stuff anymore. But it's just scary to see the numbers go up, and obviously for production, I'm like terrified that we're going to lock down again and not be able to shoot so that's like a fear of mine um but yeah i mean i'm keeping safe my team's keeping safe so we're just trying to stay as positive as possible
1: mm-hmm. yeah we uh i remember when when that happened on friday i called kirill i'm like yeah. yo do you think our shoots next week are going to be
0: canceled <laughs> you know, he he called in a panic he's like yo do we have anything next week and i'm like <laughs> yeah we do don't worry They're, we have smaller we have small shoots, so it's not like a crew of ten, twenty people that we have to manage, so it's all good, and it's only like the restaurants and gyms and how did you kind of feel like when we went from stage two to stage three with each one like what was like some of the big changes that you started noticing like for yourself um uh, with immediate group?
2: I mean, we didn't shoot anything until we were allowed to like we we really kind of followed the rules i was not coming into the office. Like I was working from home, um, you know, partially because I was scared, but you know, also just wanted to, to, to you know, follow the rules and, and, and be safe and not liable for anything that were to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, once stage three hit, we were allowed to shoot again, which was great, but it's not like it just went like go and we started shooting right away. It was like a really, slow period um you know continuing conversations with clients starting new conversations with clients working through pre-pro like it wasn't until end of September mid to end of September that we actually shot anything so um yeah it was it was slow and like luckily we still did some post uh train lockdown and we're doing some animated videos, some motion graphics stuff. So that kind of kept us afloat, kept us above water. Um, and yeah, just I was like, dying to get back on set. It was it was weird. Like, And then I was like super nervous going back on set. Cause I was like, shit, do I even like remember how to. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Felt rusty.
2: And, and manage people. Yeah, I like felt so rusty. But then once I got there and like felt the energy of the crew and everybody, it was like. So awesome to be back at it. Um, obviously different with the masks and the distance and everything. Like it's so weird. It's, it's so hard to to adapt to and like accept as our new normal or whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys felt the same way being back on set and just working again, no matter what it is. Like some of the projects we were we, we, we started doing, like are not these like breakthrough awesome portfolio pieces, but I don't care. Like I was super passionate and super like
0: yeah. committed
2: to whatever we were doing because it'd been so long. So
0: Yeah. Like having been gone for like five, six months, not having, like not being able to, to do much. Like you're grateful. You're grateful. Like the first few projects that come in, you're like, okay, I'm ready (laughs) to do something. But like, what, what was like maybe like the first feeling that you got when you, when you got on set, you know, like uh, like you mentioned, you were a little bit nervous uh, obviously, but was there anything else that you were feeling, you know, as, as you were kind of getting back into it?
2: I was just thinking like, this could very well be the last shoot for another five months
0: you know like
2: that could happen and so I need to like make that very best of this time with these people and this opportunity because yeah who knows when I'll be back on set again luckily I have been back on set since then but kind of approaching each shoot like it could be the last one for a long time again so
1: yeah how how big is your uh your your uh team. Your, your team yeah
2: um so like the salary team like the the, the immediate team is three people it's myself uh marsha who is our producer and yuri who is our editor and colorist uh, and so depending on the scale of the project like it, it might be just us the only other team member we would have to bring on as a dop obviously and then you know camera camera team um but we've done stuff where it's like just me and a D running around shooting like not from like doc style kind of stuff um but we scale up or down so you know we've had crews as big as like 30 40 people um recently it's been like no more than 10 we're trying to keep it less than 10 and clients have been very understanding and kind of supportive of that more nimble approach. And they're actually kind of looking for that more nimble approach uh, for their own sake and safety. Um, so we're actually pretty well positioned for this whole cold COVID world, cause we're just used to um, not necessarily smaller scale, but just, yeah, more, more nimble, you know, wearing multiple hats, um, that kind of thing.
0: Uh, How have you seen the creative process get affected with COVID obviously you know before you would have the freedom to kind of come up with whatever ideas you wanted but because obviously with COVID now you know you're trying to you're restricted to you know like trying to be six feet apart you know you're trying not to interact with people. How has that affected like maybe the kind of creative choices that you've made in like the in the briefs and the stories and the ideas that you were pitching.
2: To be honest, I mean, it, it hasn't really affected the creative too much, um, at least with the opportunities I've seen. Like, we haven't seen any boards or scripts where it's, like, big crowds and, you know, on location with tons of people running around. Everything has kind of, when it when it comes to us in script form or in brief form from the agency, they've already kind of taken into account what's possible right now. Um, so, in the creative phase it it hasn't really affected anything for us yet but then obviously on set you know we're we're hiring covid uh, protocol protocol managers and people just to kind of focus on on just that on set and they might be like hey this is what needs to happen for this to be safe whether it's like lighting crew sets up but then leaves you know hair and makeup is happening outside bathroom is down the street kind of thing so there's like logistical precautions that are, are put in place um but knock on wood it hasn't really affected the creative yet for us that being said like there hasn't been any big big opportunities where that might be the case right so
1: i i've never heard of these uh covid um protocol people coming on says so yeah the yeah first- Oh, really? Yeah,
0: the, this is a thing. With a lot of the bigger sets, they have people that are just dedicated solely to making sure that everyone adheres to these protocols. Oh, okay. It's not necessarily needed as much when you're, it's a small crew of, like, four mm-hmm. people or something like that or five. But then if it's, like, once it gets to, like, up to, like, 10, 15, 20, then it gets a little bit stricter. Have you
1: been on set with, with the No, like... No,
0: no, no. I've just heard about it. And, like, as, as Ryan mentioned, that, like, they've been doing it a lot. Like, how... What is, like, the lowest crew number that you've uh had where you've had to bring in someone like that
2: um yeah like around 10 people like we, yeah. we, we keep it under 10 and one of those people would be like the covid uh supervisor so like it's a totally new role um that's kind of just come up and has been created that uh we add on as like a line item just for our own safety, but also just for like the client's safety, you know, for them to know that there's someone dedicated to that role and just kind of staying on top of everyone. And and the good thing about it is when you have someone outside of like the film world doing this kind of thing, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the director or the client or the producer who's, you know, being unsafe, doesn't matter who it is. This person will tell them what they need to do, like put them in their place. Um, you know, be safe. So it's it's almost like they're at the top of the the hierarchy in terms of roles. They have uh you know freedom and um they're encouraged to just stay on top of everybody no matter who it is, make sure everyone's being safe, um, so that we can we can get the job done. And it's crazy, like we've been talking to people on like bigger sets, like Netflix shows and whatnot, and a lot of these shows are spending like millions of dollars every few weeks to have like a life Labs uh, thing set up on set so people can get like tested throughout the day. Like it's crazy the amount of money we're putting into this stuff because you know, you have to like insurance companies aren't, aren't covering much if, if anything COVID related. And so to, to make sure that the company's covered and everybody's feeling safe, we're having to put lots of money and time into these, safety
1: precautions where do you even find a person like that
2: um i mean we kind of just asked around for for references and and, you know people have done it but you know there's that that facebook group like i need a fixer canada edition um you'll see a lot of asks on there for covid people and then you'll see a ton of responses people who are doing it um so you can you can find them there as well
1: and and uh, on the insurance, then, do you let your insurance know, okay, I have a shoot coming up on this date, uh, I'm bringing in a COVID person or whatnot, and then, like, do you let them know? Or, like, how does that work?
2: Not really. I mean, I just renewed our insurance for the year um, about a month ago, and they've basically adjusted all of their fine print and all of their, um, you know, policy points to say that like this is not covering COVID like you need to take your own uh, precautions to to make sure that doesn't happen so I mean I, I yeah I don't think to my knowledge it exists where you can say to them we're on set tomorrow can we beef it up to make sure like if COVID were to happen we'd be covered like I don't think that exists at least with my insurance provider
1: okay so well, what i guess what happens if you do get COVID onset, like well the,
0: the thing is like i guess in the reason they're doing that is because it's so easy to catch it like insurance providers at the end of the day they want to make money they don't want to they don't want to have to be on the hook for something that is very likely to happen and then you know then they're going to be stuck paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars when only you paid them like what five thousand yeah that's true so it's i wonder
1: what happens now like
0: okay so you get well, it's like with cars, you know, like oh, like when well, you get into when you start getting into more accidents, they start to bump up your rate because they know that you're going to be just prone.
1: One, it's just one accident in this case. Well,
0: <laughs> but I mean, there's a lot of expenses when it goes into COVID-related stuff. Yeah. I can imagine, right? Like, it
1: must be a disaster. Like, imagine your, if it happens, like your client would probably
0: be like, I, I wonder, I wonder if they would work with you again after that. I, who knows? I mean, who knows? I mean, I guess. But the thing is you cannot also necessarily figure out how you got it like where you got it who you got it from too accurately that's another thing like it's a lot of hearsay you know it's like i think we got it from this one because they tested positive but was it really them you can't prove it and uh, i don't know like there's probably so much legal that would go into that right
2: yeah i mean one thing we're doing is like before the shoot we're asking everyone to do the um safe sets certificate uh, program thing, which is a website, I forget what it's called, SafeSets or something. Um, we get them to fill out a questionnaire, which is like the same thing they ask you if you go into a store, like, have you been traveling? Have you been sick? Have you been around anyone? And they sign a form which basically says no to all those questions or you know, answers them correctly. Um, so that at least covers us from a on paper kind of legal perspective and then After the shoot, we follow up a few days after and say, how are you feeling? Are you still okay? Is everything okay? And then we, and with the client too, like client, crew, everybody, we follow up and make sure everyone's feeling okay. Um, Luckily, it's been okay for all the shoots we've done. And then we let everyone on the crew, client know that everyone's feeling fine. We're good. Moving on kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, we just recently started implementing something similar where we put together our own questionnaire and our own like um, uh, protocols package of like what everyone on set is expected to do and and abide by that we just send out to the client and the whole crew and everyone needs to fill it out just to make sure that everyone is on the same page because at this point you know like you, you need to you need to like it also shows everyone on set and the and the clients that you care. You know, like I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do a lot of these run and gun smaller shoots and don't think of this stuff as well. And, you know, it's it's such a stark contrast.
2: Yeah, that's just peace of mind, right? Like of course. It, it just makes everyone feel better, more confident um, when you have something in place, right? Like it's, yeah. I mean, even just for me, like knowing that our crew at least says they're okay, I, I feel better already. Like the unknown is, is, is what's scary, right? If you don't know or someone's been or if they've been affected. So
1: Ryan, why don't you run us through your background? Like how you got into the industry?
2: Big question. Um basically back in like I think it was grade seven or eight, my dad bought a cam for the family, like a mini D V uh camera for like family trips. And um I just, like, as soon as I figured out how to use it, was, like, getting so into making, like, these family movies on vacations. And then, I know this is cliche, but, like, I was big into skateboarding and started, (laughs) you know, shooting these skate videos. And I'm not very good at skateboarding, so I was filming more than actually skating, just, like, filming my friends. Um, And then, like, even at school, like, I wasn't great in school. Wasn't too stoked on it. But I could get really invested in projects if I could, like, incorporate filming somehow. So whether it was, like, a book report or a science project, I would, like, figure out a way to make a video of that project. And then my teachers, for whatever reason, were, like, blown away by the fact that I was doing videos. Little did they know it's because I had no interest in the project if I could (laughs) shoot uh, shoot it. So so I started like getting, I started getting like good marks with these these video project submissions. Um, And so that was kind of my way to get through high school. Um, And then, you know, my dad is an engineer. My mom was in medicine. So there was definitely some convincing that needed to happen you know, that <laughs> oh, I could yeah. actually make a career in, in filming and video I think
1: art. I think every filmmaker goes through that. They have to convince their parents like, look, I'm not going to be a bum, I swear. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, so I went to, to UBC in Vancouver, uh, the film program there, which was great. Um, and And that was kind of like... my parents as well like they wanted me to get a university degree not just like a one-year college private type thing um so went to ubc got the degree like the program there was a lot of like theory and like film studies in addition to production so um you know i probably could have learned more going to college or just getting on set but the the degree was important to to my parents and also to me like i just I wanted to go through the whole university experience living in red you know having fun with that
1: did you make good connections through the um the school years
2: yeah so that's what i'm gonna say like the program is one thing you know i learned what i did it probably could have been better it could have been a lot worse um but the people i met in that program i'm still working with a lot of them today um was so inspired by a lot of them some of them are are big names now working around the world and so Still having that connection as like fellow alumni um, from that school is is huge. Like my go to DP is is from UBC, and like I don't know what I would do if I if I didn't meet him because I have to call him up on so many projects because I'm so comfortable and I've been through so much with him. Um, so yeah, like going to school just for the connections is is worth it 100 in in my eyes.
1: How many people would you say from your program actually stuck through with it at, like after uh, school ended?
2: That's a good question. I mean, I lost touch with with quite a few of them. Um, I would say like, so each year, I think there was only 20 people in the program, like it's a pretty small program. I would say 50% stuck with it, maybe more, maybe less, depending on the year, uh, at least in some respect, right? Like some people are are... are you know, working, um, uh, you know, in like feature films and TV, you know, whether it's like as a casting agent or, you know, location scouter, like, or they're working on, you know, movies of the week, uh, the Hallmark channel stuff. Some people are, you know, directing DOP. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different paths people took, but I'd say about 50% to my knowledge are, are still working in the field.
0: I think it depends also on the, the programs that you go to because we've talked to people, who, uh, to other people who have gone to different film schools, and they would say that only like 5%, 10, yeah, 10 10% percent of the people actually stick with it or, or actually were or managed to find work. So it's
1: pretty good that 50% stuck through with it.
0: Yeah. I, I, do, you, do you think that's pretty common that like maybe like uh, it really depends on the program, like how invested and how involved people are able to kind of continue or pursue the career?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think film school is what you make of it, right? Like, if you're super invested in the craft and, like, you just know that's what you want to do, it doesn't matter what your professors are like or, you know, what the school is like. You're you're you're, you're going to be in it. You're going to make a career out of it. I think some people, like, go in thinking that it's all just going to be kind of laid out for them. Like, okay, you got your degree. Here's where you get your first job here's when you like direct your first spot. Like, you know, it, it's, it's a really tough industry, right? It's all about who, you know, and, you know, and, and it's the grind, like it's a, it's a super grind. So I think people go in maybe not being as prepared for, for that and, and maybe they lose interest and they want something easier or just um, more consistent, more reliable, right? Like they want to, they want a paycheck, you know, every two weeks as opposed to like hunting for your next gig. So I think maybe that's what discourages people afterwards.
0: It's definitely a tough career path. And a lot of people don't realize it. Like a lot of people always see the end goal. It's like, I'm going to have an Oscar in my hand. You know, it 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 doesn't obviously work like that. You have to have like, I love what you mentioned that you need to have a good attitude about it. You have to have a good approach to like what you make of the program, because if you are in that environment and you aren't able to make something of that, you're competing with people uh, like like people like people like dario and myself who didn't go to film school but made something of it because we had the passion we wanted to pursue this career ourselves so we figured out a way to do it without film school so you really it, it, like you said it really doesn't matter what uh what program you go to or what path you take on as long as you're passionate and you're willing to hustle that is the only way you will find success i wonder how many of them choose to go
1: because there's obviously two paths you could do right right after you finish you can either do the union route and try to work within the film industry, or you go our route, which is the video production industry, which is basically like gig hunting in a way, right? Like you, you make of it what you make of it, right? It's just freelance. And then maybe you get a job at a corporate video production company. I wonder what the stats are for that. Yeah. It's a different mindset now. It's like a whole different, it's a different uh, ball game entirely, you know?
2: Totally. Yeah. I also think like, my program at UBC was very focused on like feature films um and TV and like government grants and you know distribution all that kind of stuff which you know is obviously still a big thing but they didn't touch on like advertising and commercials and marketing which is like a great place to go and start your career um after school where you can make a name for yourself where you can build your portfolio and, and where there's money like you know it's still hard but there's 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 lots of money in commercials and advertising so you know when I when I graduated I I, I first started just doing like corporate corporate videos because that's where I knew where there was a need and where it was like you know there was money there um and you know just doing videos for Uh, family friends who owned businesses or friends who worked at companies where there was potentially a need for video. But it took a while to really learn and understand that, you know, commercials is is a great place to go and a a great place to, to create. So I wish going back, like my profs would have had a course for like new media, you know, web series, um, getting on Netflix that kind of thing they they were very focused on like this is how you get a telefilm grant this is how you um make a film and like raise money and it was almost like um it, i i wasn't super excited and inspired based on what they were telling me i had to kind of learn outside my, on my own the where i was going to go what the path was was going to be
0: well one one thing i've noticed about any university programs is that uh or any university program is that the content that is being taught there a lot of the time becomes really outdated within like a year or two like what year did you go to ubc
2: um i graduated in 2013.
0: okay so for example that was a time when netflix was also still relatively new right and a lot of these online digital platforms were still kind of emerging like i remember 2013 was the time when i really decided to start pursuing uh, this industry as well, and I just kind of saw the digital side of things grow. YouTube was where everything was being focused on because it was YouTube was at hot at the time. It was very hot. Like content was like like people were on the hunt for new creatives, new talent, uh, like uh, within that space. So it was really hard to kind of predict it. Maybe now it, there's probably so many different programs and courses, as you mentioned, where there is a focus on it because now it's been around for more than half a decade where people can really quantify it and figure out how to teach it like now there's so many tutorials on youtube that teach a lot of things that weren't around like five years ago when i when we when we were all starting out we had to figure a lot of things out ourselves because nothing had been tested everyone was just trial and error trial and error trial and error and now all the trial and error has kind of been taken out of the content world and there's solutions to everything it's like You need to film something like this for this type of ad. Here's how. Here's like fifty videos on how you can do it, right?
1: I I love calling those videos tech support. So like camera reviews, (laughs) how to how to light a scene. I always call those tech support. (laughs) (laughs) Camera tech.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I I wouldn't call myself technically savvy in in any sense. And pretty much every project, like I I still edit some stuff um, here and there. And pretty much every project working in Premiere, I have to Google something.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you too, eh?
1: <laughs> Everyone does. How do you add a time code?
2: <laughs> yeah, something will cut out or like autosave didn't work or I don't know. I, I think I'm cursed when it comes to technology. There's always <laughs> shit that happens. But Yuri, who's sitting beside me, I call him my IT because I'm always like, Yuri, what do I do? Like Google's not answering my question. Like. I'll look like in forums and on Reddit and like I can't find a solution to the problem I have and it's like oh my god Thank God you're here. Thank God people are are posting these videos because otherwise i would be lost
1: Oh my god one time I had a project just disappear on me. When was this? uh two years ago oh yeah i pan i was panicking i was literally just shitting my pants i'm like oh my god like it was like 99 percent done i just had to like add one last thing and then just export it and it was just called adobe <laughs> i'm like yo you got I, like the guy called the-, the guy answered. i'm like yo you gotta help me out i'm i'm in deep shit right now the whole thing just disappears like oh yeah just do this this and then it'll pop up again i'm like oh it worked Okay, he, thanks. <laughs> see,
0: he 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 figured out the problem on his own and didn't concern myself or the client cuz I didn't even know this happened. No, I told you about. You did? Yeah, no, yeah, I don't
1: remember this. I was like, "Yo, you have no idea what happened this morning." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It's scary like I I try and buy like the best drives, the most reliable hard drives and like I take like DIT and, you know, like file transfer, like very seriously. Like I'm almost anal about it. I'm like, no, not go going to the room. Like I'm transferring files, <laughs> but shit still happens. Like last week our power went out and went right back on and I went to open my project and it was like, like kind of like what you said, uh, Dario, it was just like not there and oh. like I had to dig into like the cache and like the auto save whatever like i had to figure it out like the project file was is not there and God, just like weird stuff like that i'm like like people say it's scary to work with film right because you can like expose it and you lose it and everything but like at least film is like a living breathing thing that like as long as you take care of it you know it's it's, it's yeah. going to be there whereas like digital like <laughs> zeros and it can just happen right like you can you can have like a magnetic pulse on like the jewelry you're wearing and it it, it's fighting the signal of the draw like shit just happens
1: not not to mention adobe was so buggy for the longest time in the past year it's gone really really good it's really good but oh my god it's been a struggle working with that thing it always like i mean the the stereotype is that it always crashes right like every time it's just like all right well that's adobe (laughs) but now it's actually pretty decent it's pretty good
2: the, the best is when you get that that uh, notification where it's like a serious error has occurred. We are going to try and save your project, but no promises. It's, what the fuck
0: like, it's like, Don't give me hope. Don't do that. Don't give me hope. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like sometimes, like they has also that error where it's like it, it, Adobe decides to take up too much RAM, even though you're rocking 32 gigabytes <laughs> of it. You know, it's like nope, still not enough project crashes sorry (laughs) deal with it but um, the one the one thing i found that made made the the programs crash less was using adobe media encoder and ever since we started using that it's so good it's been just the fastest and the most reliable because it doesn't mess up the the premiere file if something does happen and that has been like a a safety net and you can still work in the
1: background like while it's rendering out and everything yeah uh, but editing aside and film school aside, I guess. Okay, so continue. You finished UBC.
2: Yeah, so I finished UBC. Like I said, I started doing a lot of, like, corporate videos, talking head type stuff. Um, and, like, it was super hard. Like, I I was basically offering services for free just to, like, build my portfolio and, and, and get some projects under my belt. Um, did a lot of, like, just... Indie stuff like I would do, you know, a spec ad or I would do a little film about my dog or my brother, just like anything to, to build a portfolio. Um, and then some bigger opportunities like by Lux just kind of came up through people I knew and references, you know, like I, I went all out for every project, even if it was just a talking head video, um, with no budget, like I, I still went 110% into it because you never know. Who that person knows or who's going to see that video and it's you know a very slow kind of like five year snowball effect um and then you know i started working with bigger agencies and bigger gigs and i was sick and tired of of wearing the producer hat and the director hat because one always kind of suffers either the creative suffers or the budget suffers um, and so, That's good. you know, we had enough uh, work coming down the pipe that I could bring on a, a full-time producer. So brought on Marsha, who's amazing. She came from the not-for-profit uh, space event, dealing with like big brand partnerships there. And we had been in touch for a while. Um, I had done some volunteer work for some of the charities she worked at and it, it, we just had like a great kind of vibe connection going so brought her on full time which has made it so much easier for me to focus on creative focus on directing um and kind of let her handle the you know client communications and business development all that kind of stuff um and then yuri i mean yuri and i so he's our, our colorist and editor i went to school with him at ubc as well he's been involved since the beginning What other you know shooting stuff for me coloring editing stuff for me um but then he kind of became a part of the company full time and you know we became the three of us and uh yeah it's been about a year and a half almost two years now with like the full team approach um and and it's going pretty well we got the office space here in the junction which pre-covid was amazing because we could host supervised color sessions and edit sessions and we prep cameras here have meetings here um now it's not being used very much because of covid and everyone's working from home we don't do we don't do supervised anymore it's just like zoom calls um where we, we bring the client in on zoom to to see where the edit's at or where the color's at um but yeah it's it's been a fun ride and you know it's i'm happy with where we're at right now but there's still so much room to grow and I still have months where it's like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, am I doing what I want to do? Am I doing the projects I want to work on? Like it's, it's like constantly kind of up and down in terms of like confidence and morale, Um, but you just kind of keep on trucking and like really always making time for like projects you're passionate about. Even if there's no budget at all, just making sure you have time for those because that just continuously reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing and why you love what you're doing. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, in, in, in quarantine, when we couldn't shoot, we worked on a ton of passion projects that we were doing work for a bunch of charities, just like giving back wherever we could.
1: Which, which charities were you working with or are you still working with?
2: Um, a bunch. So special Olympics, um, rethink breast cancer ontario nature fred victor society um jack.org uhn hospital network like we marsha came from that world so we really just reached out to everyone and said hey like do you need help during this time we would love to support in any video content or even photo uh needs that you might have and so that was a way to keep busy Um, to feel good about the work that we were doing and just like stay creative and and, and keep working on stuff.
1: And how did you choose those charities? They knew the people. Oh, you knew the people that were working there?
2: Yeah, I mean, Marsha had some contacts there, but we were also just trying to diversify, right? So like, okay, nature will give back to the environment. Uh, Special Olympics will give back to people with an intellectual disability. UHN Hospital Network, like we want to like be a part of fighting for the cure for covid it was it, for their campaign to, to raise money for covid research so just trying to like cast a, a wide net on um various causes and and like i said just to feel good about like doing something for, for for various
1: organizations yeah that's something we started uh in september as well so we we started this personal program called uh what well, we called it five for five where mm-hmm. we donate five percent from every project towards five charities. And again, and, uh, we did what you did as well. We chose it based on like different factors, right? So we, we have, uh, Canadian blood services, mm-hmm. youth without shelter, nature conservancy, Canada, um, uh, second harvest. And what's, what's the other one? Uh,
0: no. Oh, red cross red cross. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then for Canadian yeah. Blood Services, we also went in and we donated blood as well. But I was actually planning on getting in touch with them to see if we could do video work for them, too. Yeah. So it's cool to hear that you're doing that.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awesome because they all have the need for it. Uh-huh. Um, they don't always have the budget for it. But, um, you know, we, that's another thing. We did reach out to charities where we thought they would have existing material, whether it's B-roll from past events or photography from past campaigns where there would be some kind of asset existing that we could re-edit repurpose for a new campaign and it wasn't always the case like we had to turn to film supply and stock video sites uh, a few times just to to, you know have content to work with but it was a fun exercise like okay budget is very small if not like zero budget how can we create something for them um with text or, or You know b-roll found footage blah 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 it was really fun it actually kind of felt like film school again like just (laughs) working with like minimal resources um to try and create something that would support and and help them
0: you know like uh, the the one thing i really love about our industry is uh having the limitations uh really kind of helps even spark creativity that you don't even know that you have right like sometimes if you have like uh, a blank check of what you can do you're like oh no We'll just do everything, you know. Let's rent all the cameras, all the lenses, all the crew, all the lights, like everything that you need. That, that's a great problem to like, have. Though it's again. a good problem to have. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, you know, it, like, what it, kind of like how you're talking about it is like it takes you back to when you first started. It's like you were very limited in your resources, so you had to really get creative about creating very interesting content with what little resources you had. And sometimes that's also kind of like what made you the filmmaker that you were was being able to solve those problems in your own unique way because sometimes you know like if, if it's like a talking head uh, video shoot you know in a studio very simple like they're very parallel like in terms of how the product would probably come out like no matter what company or what person does it obviously everyone has their own little spins that uh, makes it creative but you know when it comes down to those crunch time videos you know with certain budgets and certain uh resources you know like that's where everyone's like Inner creativity, I feel, comes out. Well, you know, times. if you have a
1: blank check, you could always hire someone that's really well, creative. To... You know, you know what I mean.
0: You know what I mean, right? It's about your spin. What clients give you a blank
2: check? Because you need to introduce me to those those clients. That's good. I
1: kind of want to know this too. I, I know. Well, I'm just I'm just saying. Is, this, you know? is it Disney? Are you talking to Disney? <laughs> <laughs> He's working on an ex Marvel project. That's why
0: I got <laughs> secrets. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I've I've never had that luxury where there wasn't some kind of crunch like you know whether it's we can only have this size crew or we can only use this camera or we only have one day we only have budget for one day or or you know however many days like um and and you're right though like i think it really forces you to be efficient and kind of maximize what you have the tools you have the knowledge you have and just you know, creative is something that can be there regardless of budget, right? Like right. obviously there's value in the creative and you want to make sure you're being compensated fairly, but, um, you can always be super creative and make up for production value with creative. I, I, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day, it's all about the content, you know, like back, back when, you know, like the digital revolution was coming, uh, that's when, you know, like, oh, you know, you started to measure companies, you know, based on their capabilities, you know, what gear they had, you 4K. know, 4K, 8K <laughs> now, you know, whereas, but but now there's been, because there's such an abundance of production companies and, and creators and, and people who can put low videos, barriers to entry, low barriers to entry, the content and the creative have become a new focus. It's like almost as if it's like switched back. It's like now if the content isn't good, doesn't matter if you shot it in 8K. If it's garbage, it's still, it doesn't matter if it's 8K, it's still 8K of garbage, you know? Like if it's like a really good solid, even 720 HD video or 1080p video, then there's still more value in that because that's what, what people want to share and see. And in- Instagram and social media apps, like
1: 4K doesn't really translate well TikTok, anywhere. Even even YouTube, like you won't get 4 K. I max, it goes to like 2K, right? So it's no, like, it goes 4K. Does it? Oh, well. No, no. You know what? If you're on bandwidth, uh, yeah. you don't want to go <laughs> <though>.
2: <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I like shooting 4K and 8K and stuff because it gives a lot of room for Yuri to work in color. Like there's just a lot of, um information there to push in different directions so if there's budget it is nice to to have that opportunity to, to to work on the grade like that but we we shot a project a few weeks ago with the c200 which i've had for a while and like it never really got used because we're always just like renting the alexa or whatever um, but budget was small on this project so we were like okay we got to use the c200 here we rented some cfast cards and shot with the raw capability. And honestly, it looks amazing. Like, like yeah.
1: How's it compare? So How's it compare to the Alexa?
2: I mean, like I said, I'm not a big technical guy. Um, oh, it, yeah, it's, it's, I mean it's 10 bit or 12 bit as opposed to whatever the Alexa is. Um, but it, like in post Yuri with color was able to, to do a lot with the, with the raw function. So, I mean, we're going to use that, we're going to do that again, because it it saves us a ton of money, clients super happy, like, um, they didn't care really what camera we use as long as it looked good. And so we did some tests and, you know, some lighting tests and lens tests and like, it was a really good camera for the job. So yeah.
0: Yeah, no, the C200s are great, we're shooting, we're shooting this with C200s, we're shooting right now with C200s as well. And even. Even like uh even the like 8 bit on it, like is is a, is a pretty good quality like uh codec to use because I find like you know, at the end of the day, like you gotta also nail it in camera. If you do that, you know, you're already gonna be coming out with a lot of great footage. And the 4K Raw, like we've used it a, a handful of times, and I've talked to DPs who use it all the time and they they swear by it as well. So it, it just goes to show it doesn't matter if you have a $50,000 camera, $100,000 camera, or, you know, twelve thousand. now 12, this 000. is a $5,000 probably 5, camera 000? used. Oh, used. So, okay. it, it, it's all a matter of like how you use it, the the content, and like the quality of the creative, you know, and then if that is good, no one's going to notice the little pixel difference between the Alexa and the C200 if the creative is really good, right? Like, people are just going to be like, that was a great video, I was entertained.
2: Totally. Yeah, and I feel like, you get so caught up in the gear sometimes, right? Like, you know, oh, we want to shoot 8K and we want to get these lenses. And you're thinking so much about like all the gear and then you forget about the creative and the story and like what you're actually doing. Um, And it can take away from it sometimes. Whereas if you go in with like this basic camera, the C200, or even like a DSLR and you're, you're, you know, that's all you have to work with. And so you're, you're focusing all of your efforts on the creative and the story and, it can sometimes turn out better than if you were to, to be using top of the line, everything
0: it sets you free in a way, right? When you know uh, that it's like, okay, this is all I have to work with. Great. You know, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Whereas, you know, it's like, okay, I need to rent the Alexa. I need to do uh, equipment check at the rental house. I have to go pick it up. I have to go drop it off. That's a whole process, right? Just to secure the equipment needs. And then as you mentioned, that takes a lot of the time, potentially a lot of the time away from the actual creative and the, And and like other things that you should also focus on. right? You know what it
1: reminds me of? It's kind of like when you watch like new wave films and you see how they're made and they're all like, they're not technically well made films, right? But they're so crazy and out there and and so interesting because they did focus most of their attention on just creating the story that it makes up for. You don't even think about the fact that, oh, you know, like for that shot, there's like a little like bump in the shot. You're like, I don't care. Like the story's so engaging.
0: Forget that, right? And it really, yeah. it really helps with the need for content to be turned out really quickly. There's been like a demand with a lot of clients these days where, you know, once it's shot, you know, they need it right away, you know. And so sometimes you have to find like a good balance of like, let me get the best possible quality, but also the most efficient uh, uh, at the same time, right? That's going to be a tricky balance going well, forward. Well, I mean, it's still a tricky balance now, like... <laughs> Do you find that there's like a lot of quick turnarounds that uh, clients need, like with a lot of the projects you do, or is it kind of, they give you a little bit of flexibility?
2: Um, depends. Like usually if it's an agency job, there's like a very set schedule. There's a deadline for when it needs to go to trafficking and whatever. So usually with the bigger jobs, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tight turnaround. It's all very well mapped out and we have to fit within that. We also do a lot of stuff direct to clients Mm -hmm. and in those cases, they might have like a a website launch or something where they want to premiere this video. But in most cases, it's just they kind of lean on us like we'd love to have this as soon as possible kind of thing. And in those cases, we'll put together a work back that basically says, okay, this is what needs to happen to have it done for end of October um a lot of it is is relying on your feedback time and and you know decisions and sign off um so it really depends but i would say in most cases it's it's quick turnaround like there's some kind of pressure deliverable time that that uh, needs to happen uh i don't know if do you guys feel the same way with with, with your stuff or
1: yeah we're, we're going through the, the exact same stuff yeah. like there's some projects where we have the time to do it, uh, but then there's others where, like we have one coming up where, um, they they used one company and they didn't like they didn't like it, so they asked us to take take care of it. And that deadline is very well. Like, the
0: deadline was the deadline was the deadline October fourth. Yeah,
1: it's, done, it's past due. Was, so
0: it, like that was the due date for the project. They weren't happy when they like the project deliverable was delivered to them late. They weren't happy, and the day they got it, they just reached out to us. Yeah. It's like we know you guys can take care of this. Like take what, like take care of it, take (laughs) care of it. I know, I know, I know it's a little last minute. We obviously needed ASAP, but let us know how long you think it will take, right? Like obviously in situations like that, you want to try to help them as much as you can because, you know, that's such a tricky situation to be in as well. when you know, like there's been another uh, factors that weren't your own. You're already coming in with like a deadline, which which was due a week ago. And you're like, oh, now is really crunch time to figure this out, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I actually like the pressure. Like, I'm a huge procrastinator, so if I'm dictating the schedule, I'll like just keep pushing it off and whatever. But if they're like, it needs to be done by this date, I will just like work to that. And and it's just nice to know that you have a deadline and you're working towards that. Yeah, and it, I mean the same went for like projects and stuff back in in school and film school and high school. Like, I was just such a procrastinator, so. Yeah, deadlines are a good thing. I would say in production,
1: Uh, Ryan, you mentioned uh, actually. Can you you know what? Can you describe the point you're at right now with your business? Because you touched upon it a little bit earlier.
2: Man, that's also a tough question. So we're 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 working with agencies a fair amount, probably more than fifty percent. We're working direct to client as well um, on a lot of stuff. We're working with a lot of charities which is great. Um, we're working on a short film, Passion Project, which we've raised some money for, which we're really excited about. Um, we are working on a series, a TV series, which we pitched to Netflix. Didn't go through, unfortunately, but um, we're still trucking along with that. Like, I, I really want to get into content, long-form content, because it's just awesome and Everyone needs that right now. Like if we go into lockdown again, you know, brands might not be putting out as many ads, but people will just be craving new content. So I think that's like a really good place to be uh, from a business perspective. Is just creating content that you can own, right? Like that, that our company can own and we just create value and assets for the company as opposed to just creating something for someone else for, for a brand or whatever. And don't get me wrong. I love commercials. I I love the challenge of like delivering on a brand ask, and um, you know I I love advertising. I, I I've always have, but I just want to try and like diversify as much as possible, um, in case you know lockdown does happen again. We still have multiple avenues to to produce work and then.
1: T- tell me more about the short film. What's it about?
2: Um, so the short film, so this is kind of a long story, but I'll keep it as short as possible. So I have a a brother with an intellectual disability. That's why I've been so involved in Special Olympics and supporting those types of charities. Marcia Doucette has a sister with intellectual disabilities. And so that was really what bonded us and had us connect so well. Um, I've always wanted to create content or a short film or or whatever it is about my brother. during lockdown we had all this time Marcia was like just write a script let's produce something with your brother Um, and because of COVID I wasn't comfortable seeing him because he's you know high risk shooting anything live action but then I looked at Marcia's sister who uh, is an artist does a lot of drawings and art Um, that's kind of her way of communicating is she'll draw as opposed to speaking uh and so we just started doing interviews with her chatting with her learning about her approach and i said why not create an animated film about her and and her way of communicating and kind of using it as a an outlook on the world and and what communication is and how it can be in the form of art or language or or whatever um so we brought on good form who is uh amazing super talented animation company motion graphic company in the city um they were super inspired by the idea inspired by rachel so they came on board we got a a a brilliant writer um on board to to write a script based on the conversations we had with rachel um and so we got a script locked. we're now in animation we're chatting with various people to obviously help fund the film but also help get it out there once it's done um we've got some exciting stuff happening there which i won't say just yet because we want to kind of have it all finalized before we officially launch uh the campaign for the film but uh again like having these passion projects in the works at all times is is super important for me to stay positive and stay motivated to to do the work that we do because Yeah, it's hard sometimes, right? Like you just, you need to constantly feel inspired and and, uh, you need to have that reminder of what you're doing, what you're doing. So that project for me and our entire team has really kept the morale high, kept us excited about what we're doing. so, yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's kind of where we're. No, no.
1: Yeah, at. no. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely answer. That's actually really good. Like, I, I really like that. Where, where can we uh, uh, where's the uh, is it a Kickstarter you're doing for it or.
2: We haven't done the Kickstarter route. We might do that. We've just kind of turned to private donors and talking to brands that might be interested in uh, mm-hmm. being a part of it. Um, but once the film's done, we're going to do a proper screening once we can at a cool venue um you know kind of get press and media there and all that and uh we're gonna have a website for it and we're also launching a kind of like social enterprise to get people with special needs involved in art right like there's programming for sports like special olympics is a great example of getting people with an intellectual disability involved in sports we want to create something that, that gets them involved in art so the film is kind of going to be two purpose multi-purpose it's, it's the film which will kind of exist on its own but it'll also be a launch for this program um that will kind of continue on down the road Oh, that's great oh, okay. like
0: let us know once once like things start to develop like we definitely want to follow this yeah. and just kind of see how it goes you know it, it's really cool that you brought that up though because i one thing that i've noticed that Um, a lot of creators, what differentiates them, I find is a lot is incorporating a lot of themselves and their experiences into their work. You know, it's, it's one thing to pick up a camera and then try to start imitating what other people do. But I feel like to really become a true creative, you have to take from your own experiences and, 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 uh, and, and have it flourish in your work. And that's something that Dara and I have been like really trying to sit down and focus on, you know, during this COVID time. It's like, how can we draw from our own lives, you know, and start incorporating it into our work? And, you know, do you feel that there is a huge uh, potential in that, you know, like where uh, do you feel like a lot of your personal experiences have really kind of shown into your work uh, rather than, you know, like versus what you've seen out there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to define that personal connection you have to like for every project ask yourself okay like what am I bringing to the table that others couldn't um whether it's your experience or people you know or just like something about the project that really inspires you that you can draw from personal experiences I think you really have to have that even if it's a corporate video talking head like it's really hard to fake uh your excitement for a project right like you have to find something that's gonna get you inspired and 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 help you deliver a a good video right um so i mean that's a it's a luxury to only work on stuff that really inspires you and really um fulfills you creatively but i do believe that with every project you can find something something about it that um you have a personal connection with or or something that just really expires you and will get you excited about the project. Even if it's like, you know, you're maybe not interested in the subject matter, but it's an opportunity to use a specific camera or work with a DOP that you've been really wanting to work with or just work with people that you really want to meet. Like we we did uh, the videos for TEDx Toronto for four years, Mm -hmm. um, which... You know, it's an event and we had to do live streaming and like all this event stuff, which is not my favorite thing to do just because events are super high risk and pressure and all that. But meeting all these incredible speakers and these incredible people who who were speaking at this TEDx event was like so inspiring. Um, And and that just really kept us coming back each year and and donating our time because uh, I just learned and grew so much as a person each time I met these amazing people
0: oh yeah like when we the TEDx stuff is always awesome TEDx projects that uh, there's always opportunities to really get learn. connected with uh, different especially. people especially learn exactly and uh, I think 2019 or like uh was late 2018 early 2019 we did uh, the Niagara uh, one for TEDx Don Mills but we were mostly handling just the creative aspect for it and just meeting and talking to a lot of the people and the speakers that yeah. would be there were very inspirational, you know, like it kind of like helped set the tone for the kind of content that we were going to create for them. And we were set to do it again this year, but obviously it was (laughs) COVID hit. And so everything just kind of stopped and, you know, got pushed until further notice. So, you know, like, I, I think, like, as you mentioned, every project you do, you have to take something away from it, or figure out a way to grow from it, however small, even as you said, if it's just a talking head, maybe use that as an opportunity to bring on, uh, like a certain uh, creative, you know, like we have a project next week, for example, where for the first time we're actually bring, bringing together two other creatives that we've wanted to work with for a while, you know, we call it like our dream team mm-hmm. in a way. And, you know, like we want to just kind of see like, finally, how can we, uh, how will everything turn out, you know, if we all play our part. So uh, like, it, it, even even if it's just a simple thing, you know, like uh, it, it, you have to take something away from it.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: What about
1: uh, in the future? Because now we've kind of figured out what point you're at right now. Where do you see yourself being, I don't want to say five years from now, but you know whatever timeline Soon, that is rather. for you, right? <laughs> uh, future timeline you got going on. For you. Where do you want your company to be in the future?
2: I mean, the company, I would like to have uh, a TV series under our belt. Um, I'd like to produce I try and produce a short film every year. So I want to keep doing that and maybe produce a feature film. I mean, that would be awesome. Um, So get some more narrative stuff under our belt. Um, I want to keep, you know, working with charities and and not just charities, but even brands and for ads, like working on just really meaningful content. Um, You know, whether it's the new like sick kids campaign or cam H or whatever, like just, meaningful content um that does more than just it's just a cool video to watch um i want it like as a director i want to uh, direct bigger better spots um and not necessarily bigger in budget but just like bigger campaigns right um be involved in in more of that and i mean i i like the fact that we're small and we're nimble like I, i if I had the opportunity to hire like another 10 people and, and expand, like, I'm not sure I would do it. Cause I really like having the small nimble team. We all know each other so well and people like working with us because they know everyone on the team and, and they know that, you know, there's not going to be lost information because there's multiple layers of, of managers and whatever. Right. Like I, I think we can continue at the size we're at for at least the next five 10 years and, and and make a great go at it with with oh. the stuff I just
0: I just mentioned. Yeah. Do you feel like there might be some uh need to bring in maybe like one or two other people to f- fulfill maybe certain roles and skill sets that you perhaps don't have at the moment? Totally.
2: Yeah, I mean right now we scale up and down depending on the project. So in most cases we're we're expanding the team per project, uh bringing on another producer, bringing on another writer, blah 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 um I would love to have the luxury of bringing on someone else full time to support on multiple projects but it's just it's tough right when our industry is so up and down to 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 have big overhead like we have pretty low overhead but when you don't have a shoot in a month like you're shit in your drawers right like it's it's scary um so yeah I mean if 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 covid goes away and we continue to grow and the work keeps coming in absolutely like we, we would potentially bring on a few more people um but yeah i i find it's always like either you're scared because there's not enough work or you're scared that there's too much work and you can't yeah. handle it never. you're never just like coasting and like feeling good <laughs> at least in my case
0: yeah, mm-hmm. you're always worrying about whether you're not having, like you said, not enough or it's like too much that it's like, oh, man, can I get <laughs> enough people on board to do this? Because it's always those busy, busy times when you're trying to find the people that you want to typically work with. They're all so busy. So you also get that panic at times it's like, damn, I can't bring on the people I typically work with sometimes, you know, because they're all so busy. But I-, I think it is all it it's hard to it's hard to find a balance. But I feel like, you know, as you go on uh, year after year, you kind of figure out that kind of like good medium um, as, as it comes. But like you said, it, it really varies.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: Well, I think um, that's the
0: end. (laughs) (laughs) I think we got, uh, covered quite a bit and uh, I like, I like that we kind of uh, started, uh, kind of started focusing a little bit more on like some of the creative uh, projects and passion and uh, passion projects and, a lot of like charitable organizations that you you got involved with, you know, I feel like a lot of people in our business, you know, like we're always concerned so much with, you know, like like making sure that, you know, we're able to do what we can, you know, trying to find that next gig. But, you know, sometimes you got to give back to the community, you got to give back to the community in some way, shape or form, whether it's, you know, donations or, you know, donating your time uh, to produce some great quality content, you know, do what you can, you know, like that's, that's basically the moral of it.
2: Yeah, totally. And like people will recognize that work that you do, right? Like if they see you're constantly shooting and working on passion projects, like it, it, it it shows a lot about your character and and your passion for what you do. So yeah, I I would say just like always try and be shooting, always try and be working on something that inspires you because you never know who's going to see it, who it's going to really connect with. You know, it might be the CEO of X agency who's like, Oh my God, like, I also support that charity. I, I I really want to work with you on the next brand ad. Like you never know what it's going to lead to, and you'll feel super good about it when when you're supporting others. So it's kind of win-win all around. Obviously, you still need to pay the bills and um, you know stay above water, which is which is tricky sometimes um, to to have that balance of paid work and unpaid work. But uh, I like I said, I I do think you always need something that you're working on that you're passionate about, that isn't about money, um, that will that'll keep you going.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, like a lot of people that I've spoken with uh, who do a lot of passion projects, they told me that almost every paid opportunity or new client that they have gotten has come directly from those passion projects that they did because someone saw it or recommended it to someone and they got inspired and they wanted to pick up the phone and call them to, to bring them on board. So like people think, you know, passion projects there's no money in it you know like maybe you know you're not going to get anything maybe directly from it but there are opportunities that can come from it and it's just a matter of you know how much time and effort you put into it right I might say the uh, uh what's that rush hour the, did you hear the rush hour story uh no um
1: who's the who's a black actor in that what's his name
0: uh chris tucker
1: so uh, apparently Chris Tucker had to do some type of video, and at the time he didn't have money, right? So he met up with Brett, Brett Ratner, and the guy's like, fine, whatever, it doesn't matter, I'll just I'll help you out, right? Yeah. Uh, and then when Chris Tucker then got the role for Rush Hour, uh, the director dropped out, the original director dropped out last minute, and he remembered Brett Ratner, who helped him out that one time. Oh, so wow. he's like, hold on, I got a guy. And then Brett Ranner directed Rush
0: Hour. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. You never know, like, where you like you, when you extend a helping hand, you know, like, maybe sometimes people won't remember it. But there's it'll it's worth it enough sometimes that, you know, that one opportunity might come up, you know, where it's like, you know what, I'm glad I've been putting myself out there, you know, whether if it was for money or not, you know, you, you got to do it. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's, partially, and that's partially why we're also uh, doing the, this podcast because we found that, you know, I think this is also, people need content, especially now during COVID and uh, there is these types of conversations you don't really hear too much, you know, between different production companies, you know, like sharing their experiences. And I feel like this is like something that some people need to listen or hear about. I mean, like these conversations, for example, about film school, right? You know, it's, a lot of people are either you have to do it Or you don't. You should never do it, you know. And you just gotta. You gotta hear people's backgrounds. Why there is like everyone's situation is different, and you just have to basically take what you can and apply it to you based on what you hear.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. You know, you've been. It's been a great discussion, and we really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys, and and thanks for doing this show. I mean, I think it's really cool. Like you said, like. It's just nice to chat with other people, hear other people's experiences because, you know, it's, it can be lonely sometimes, right? Like when you're running your own company and you're so focused on what you're doing, it's nice to just hear what others are doing and you can kind of pull from those experiences and those ideas and use them in, in, in your own. So thank you for, for producing the show and I look forward to continuing to, to follow along. I've been, I've been watching them as, as you put
1: them up
0: oh yeah okay, that's awesome we're, we're, ha- we're happy that people are enjoying it you know that so you must
1: be the sixth subscriber huh
2: <laughs> you know what i actually might not even subscribe to it so i'll make sure I do... <laughs> ah
0: okay there we go now he's number seven false idol <laughs> seven yeah 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 no no we appreciate the support and you know like uh again let us keep us posted with whatever passion projects you have like we would love to check it out as they yeah. come out for
2: sure i will do that thanks yeah. a lot guys have a great day and i'll talk to you soon
0: Sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. See ya.
2: Cheers, guys. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Creatives Grab Coffee podcast.
1: You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Let us know if
0: there are any topics you would like for us to cover in future episodes. You can reach out to us at creativesgrabcoffee at (laughs) gmail.com.